The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. It's good to be on the side of good. When we hear about terrorist atrocities, we naturally want to express our support for the victims in some way. And our politicians usually speak out, promising to respond forcefully. That sense of solidarity is an important response. But in Israel, I can understand the pain that Israelis must feel when Western politicians speak out against terrorist atrocities in their nations and yet don't stand solidly behind tiny Israel, which has faced extremism and hatred since its founding in 1948. In fact, Israel has been dealing with the same barbaric enemy for decades. Now, more than ever, Christians need to take a stand with the Jewish people. And I'll explain how you can be an effective prayer warrior and a watchman on the walls of Jerusalem. Hello, I'm Christine Darg. Instead of giving the well-deserved solidarity that Israel so desperately craves, Europe has caved into political correctness and has decided once again to put a mark on the Jewish people by labeling products made in their own biblical heartland of Judea and Samaria, as if Jewish products are somehow illegitimate and contaminated. Meanwhile, the West is reaping its hypocrisy. The West is experiencing the insanity it's sown by welcoming parallel communities that have no intention of integrating into Western democracies. As Israeli commentators are saying, every time nations are hit by mass terrorism, Israel hopes that the world will finally wake up, smell the coffee, and understand Israel's lonely and incredibly dangerous predicament. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said aptly, you can't fight terrorism selectively. The Prime Minister said on his Facebook page recently that those who refuse to condemn the terrorism in Israel as they do in Paris are hypocrites and blind. This is because the same jihadists who are trying to destroy Israel are attacking Paris and threatening Europe and America. Netanyahu said, we're struggling against terrorism already for a century, and the struggle will continue. But here's the thing everyone needs to try to understand. Israelis get angry and exasperated over comparative body counts and the concept of moral equivalence. With these savage terrorist attacks, there is no moral equivalence. Five Jewish men were murdered in Israel this past week when they were doing innocent activities like praying, driving home, or standing by the side of the road. But on the other hand, Palestinian terrorists who've been killed by Israeli forces over the past couple of months were killed while carrying out murderous attacks on cars, police, and civilians. Can you see the difference? The killing of a terrorist who's charging at a policeman with a knife in his hand is not morally equivalent to the murder of a harmless 18-year-old boy 
who was driving home from doing volunteer charity work. Why is it so difficult for people to understand the difference? And why is Israel routinely condemned for simply defending itself? Well, this week I was studying Ezekiel chapters 33 and 34, which contained the renewal by the God of Israel, the prophet Ezekiel's commission as a watchman for national security. Ezekiel was commanded to address his nation once again, but in a new tone, a tone of greater warning, yet also adding consolation. Like today, when war against terrorism has been declared, Ezekiel 33 was written at a time of war and consequently a time of grave danger for Israel. The prophet spoke of wild beasts in the land. And isn't this what we've been seeing today? Israel and Western nations don't have today wild lions and tigers that can devour us, but terrorists. Their beast-like instincts tear and kill and thirst for more blood. And as watchmen upon the walls of Jerusalem, we're surely engaged in a time of great spiritual conflict. We're enlisted in a lifelong resistance campaign until the rapture or Jesus returns. God's people are the people of the book, Jews and Christians together. And we have enemies who are emboldened by weak leaders. And those of us who have accepted the post to watch and pray on Israel's walls are in a very similar position to the Hebrew prophets of old. The Dutch statesman Gert Wilders has said, if the Jews are denied the right to live in freedom and peace, soon we'll all be denied this right. And if the light of Israel is extinguished, God forbid, we'll all face darkness. If Israel falls, the West falls. Well, this quote reminded me of the poem or statement by the German pastor Martin Niemöller concerning the cowardice of German intellectuals following the Nazis' rise to power. It goes like this. First, they came for the socialists, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Jew. And then they came for me, but there was no one left to speak for me. Indeed, if Israel falls, the West falls. And why should the world care or be dependent upon what appears to be a very tiny nation, the state of Israel? But the God of Israel has designed it that way. Jesus himself said in John 4:22 that salvation proceeds from the Jews. By that statement, Jesus meant that the Jewish nation would be the channel for salvation for the entire world through, number one, the Holy Scriptures, and secondly, through the Messiah's atonement. Now, the people of Israel must be in proper position once again in their own land in order to be able to summons, to welcome, to receive Messiah upon his second advent. 
And from this city of Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, he will rule the world for a thousand years. Well, naturally, satanic forces manipulating behind the scenes are desperate to stop the return of the Lord. But the powers of darkness can't stop the Lord's return and triumph because it's inevitable. God's word on the matter cannot be broken. However, one way to delay the Lord's return would be to wipe the present state of Israel off the face of the map. Then God would have to start all over again collecting Jews from the four corners of the earth, from wherever he could find them again, to regather them back to the promised land. But God is not mocked, and his arm isn't shortened that he cannot save the nation of Israel in this perilous hour. God won't have to start all over again with Israel because the set time has come for him to shake all the nations and for a Messiah to return. The prophet Haggai wrote in chapter 2 and verse 7 that God will shake all the nations. And preachers love to quote that verse. But in its context it reads, And I will shake all the nations, and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. And I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of hosts. So the context is restored Israel. You see, there is life after the church age is gathered up into the fullness of the Gentiles. And God is determined to restore his people. Even the holy temple will be restored, even if for a short while it's desecrated. But God is still ultimately in control of the end time scenario. So watchmen, this is our watch. This is our hour. The Lord expects us to keep in view the movements of the terrorists, to observe with great care every advancement of evil, and to pray for every possible thwarting and victory against the evil that's rising. You see, we're to note with constant and even sleepless vigilance the secret movements of the enemy as revealed by the intelligence of the Holy Spirit. Such prayers in God's war rooms frustrate the powers of darkness. It's our duty to understand the times as the children of Issachar and to interpret all that's transpiring in light of truth as revealed in God's prophetic word. You'll find that reference uh, to the children of Issachar in 1 Chronicles 12.32 where it says, And of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. You see, we must call out, we must mark and resist every deviance, every apostasy, every departure from divine truth in these troublesome days. As during World War II, we must put up a resistance movement in the spirit against the powers of darkness and refuse to go AWOL from our positions on Jerusalem's wall. So let's take a Selah moment and thank God as intercessors for the tremendous honor, the responsibility that he's given to us. On the one hand, if we don't warn and if we don't intercede, blood could be on our hands. But on the other hand, the interests, the destinies, and the very lives of entire nations were placed 
were entrusted by God in the keeping of watchmen such as Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Daniel, and even intercessors today. In a sense, the safety of the entire Jewish nation was in Ezekiel's hands in his day, and all watchmen were required by God to be faithful. Ezekiel was required to be diligent. But what an honor for you and me to be selected today for such a divine post as a guardian on Jerusalem's sacred walls and to be gatekeepers at her gates. Well, in Ezekiel 33 and verses 6 to 8, the watchman is severely condemned who would be found sleeping at his post or who sees trouble but fails to warn his fellow citizens of any impending attack. The watchman who fails to speak, to warn, and who has no sense of the urgency of the hour and the importance of his duty would be gravely at fault and would be severely judged by God. So it's very important who we listen to in this hour and how we hear because our business is to warn sinners of the danger that they are foolishly entertaining. And if souls perish through the watchman's neglect, God says we'll bring guilt upon ourselves. And so I want to read verses 7 to 9 from Ezekiel 33 from the message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible. And this reads very well and sounds contemporary to our ears. Speaking to Ezekiel, God said, You, son of man, are the watchman. I've made you a watchman for Israel. The minute you hear a message from me, warn them. If I say to the wicked, wicked man, wicked woman, you're on the fast track to death and you don't speak up and you don't warn the wicked to change their ways, the wicked will die unwarned in their sins and I'll hold you responsible for their bloodshed. But if you warn the wicked to change their ways and they don't do it, they'll die in their sins, well warned, and at least you will have saved your own life. Think about this with a spiritual application. The Bible says that the interests, the fortunes, the lives of the entire nation were placed in the keeping of one man, the watchman. He was responsible for tens of thousands of people and more potentially. The safety of the entire realm hung on him. He had to have good eyesight physically and spiritually. But it was a distinctive honor to be selected for the post. And the characteristic of faithfulness, of course, was paramount. We must be gifted with faithfulness and trustworthiness. And yet even faithfulness and trustworthiness aren't enough to guarantee success because the people may be backslidden or deceived or just plain deluded. They may not listen to urgent and fervent warnings. The people may choose to mock and deride the watchman as so many do today. They may deceive themselves that there's no real danger going on and many people and leaders are like this right now. They have lost good judgment. They've lost the ability to reason. They can't see the handwriting on the wall. Oh, for a prophet's vision to interpret the times. 
Well, the hatred against Israel amongst the nations is pretty scary. The Lord says in his word, I've heard all the blasphemies that you have spoken against the mountains of Israel. You see, every shout, every tweet, every whisper of every terrorist is heard and noted by God, and they are storing up for themselves judgment big time. Hatred, which is nursed and brainwashed into the children, soon develops into murder. Terrorists shed the blood of the children of Israel, and when the Jews defend themselves, they're accused of injustice. Truth is literally fallen in the streets. Terrorism against innocent Israelis are deeds as black as ever have been done by man. On top of all of this, Israel's enemies are memorialized in Psalm 83. Because they don't just hate, they want to blot Israel's name completely out of history. They want to obliterate even the name of Israel, a nation that's been the channel of blessings to the entire globe through the Bible, through the Savior, through medicine and science. This is evil at its lowest level. Well, as I read to you from Ezekiel chapter 33, Ezekiel was commanded by God to address his nation once again, but in a new tone, a tone of greater warning. Yet, in the next chapter, there's a tone of consolation. Because in the end, God will bring all things together for good. These verses are so relevant and contemporary to curtain events going on right now in Israel. In Ezekiel chapter 34, the Lord promises, Yet will I save my flock, and they will no longer be plundered. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will be their shepherd. This speaks of the millennial rule of King Messiah. And then God says in verse 25, I will make a covenant of peace. These words are less definite than the new covenant prophesied in Jeremiah 31, 31, but it's the same thought along the lines of national salvation. God says, I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of savage beasts. As I said, the terrorists have become like savage beasts, but God promises to shake and to sort out and to bring the rule in of King Messiah. The prophecy goes on to promise at the end of Ezekiel chapter 34 that God will provide for them a land renowned for its crops. Then the Lord says, they will know I am the Lord their God and they are my people. So he's going to call them the sheep of his pasture, and he will be their God. This passage is so wonderful because it describes how the Jewish people will move from despair to a golden age of peace under the leadership of King Messiah, whom God will appoint as the one shepherd over his flock Israel. He's described in this passage as my servant David. And David is an idiom for Messiah, who is a better David. Believers see the messianic reference of this portion of prophecy as Jesus. Yeshua is his Hebrew name, great David's greater son. He's the ultimate man after God's own heart. And God, in fact, has already made 
the appointment. God has set his king on his holy hill despite the present raging of the nations. For the past centuries, the Israelis, the Jews, have tasted the horrors of the Holocaust, of pogroms, of bitter exile from their land. But God's covenant of peace will lift them up once again. They shall be his people, and the prophecy is they shall dwell safely. This is the precious promise of tranquility in the book of Ezekiel, total protection. And it even says they'll sleep too, meaning that they'll enjoy proper rest and relaxation. In a new era of peace and prosperity under King Messiah, the evil, oppressive men, the beasts, will finally be tamed. Ishmael, the wild donkey, will be broken in by the Holy Spirit. The wolf will lie down with the lamb and so forth. Security will be perfect and the fields will yield even more superb crops than Israel is already currently producing. For such a long and dreary time, the Jews bore reproach among the nations, but God is removing their reproach and for their dishonor, they'll be exalted with King Messiah. When they cry for peace and safety without Messiah, sudden destruction will come to those trusting in the arm of flesh, the Bible says. But, thankfully, the Holy Spirit also at this time will be poured out upon Israel, the spirit of grace and supplication. This is the promise of Zechariah 12.10. And they will mourn for a Messiah. Israel will be brought to great repentance, as will the surrounding nations. And now this is where we come in. Whenever God determines to draw near to a people, to revive and awaken them, and whenever he's about to display his awesome power, he always awakens a spirit of prayer first. It's a spiritual fact that prayer always precedes revival. And it's happening right now. And you and I are a part of it as watchmen. Many, many Jewish people are returning to God and there are many preachers of righteousness amongst them, even now as I speak. And I follow many of these Jewish preachers. They don't yet embrace Yeshua as Messiah, but they are preaching righteousness and a return to the Father. Repentant services at the Western Wall, posted on YouTube from time to time, are awesome to see. If you've ever wanted to see and hear what repentance looked like in the days of the Bible, you can get a foretaste of it by looking at those videos. Presently, Jesus is disguised to them in Gentile clothing, as it were, even as Joseph in Egypt was unknown to his brethren. But when Israel recognizes him, Israel will not become a Christian nation as we think of Christianity. And we shouldn't expect it to be like that. Rather, Israel will remain the Jewish nation, under the authority of King Messiah, Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Yeshua is his Hebrew name, on the throne of his father David. So Messiah will soon return. He'll put down the last rebellion that's shortly to come to pass by a false Christ. And during the millennium, a highway of peace will be built between Egypt, Israel, and the emerging nation of 
Assyria, not Syria, which is currently being destroyed, but restored biblical Assyria. This is why it's important to get on the right side of history as it unfolds. Every intercessor, every watchman who's standing in the gap for these prophecies to come to pass are in special favor with the Almighty. When Jesus returns, let's be found to have been faithful watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem. Amen. Well, Daniel 11.32 is the theme of this program. It says the people who know their God will be strong and do exploits. So we encourage you to know God and to be sure that you know him as your God. You see, this verse doesn't just say that people who know God will be strong. It says that people who know their God will be strong and do exploits. So do you know the God of Israel and his Messiah? Is he your God? Have you invited him into your heart? I encourage you to do that right now so you don't have to face the future alone. The Bible promises that all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. Well, I hope you've been encouraged and inspired to be strong, to be full of moral courage, and to resist doubt and unbelief in these glorious days of gospel opportunities. And the best exploit that we can do in life is simply to know God and to do the works that he personally calls us to do on an individual basis. And so I encourage you to learn to read through the Bible consecutively, book by book, year after year, until the Lord returns. Regular, systematic Bible study is so much more effective than devotionals. Reading a verse here and a verse there is better than nothing, but it doesn't give you the connectiveness and cohesion of reading through the Bible systematically. A friend on Facebook asked me, do you suggest reading Genesis through to Revelation? He said, I must admit that I haven't been doing that. I've just been reading bits and pieces of the Bible here and there. And perhaps he said, I'm not getting the full picture. Well, my answer is you wouldn't read any other book that way by just reading bits and pieces here and there. There are plenty of Bible reading plans available to you on the internet. And I personally have a 365-day Bible that I purchase that I read through each year. But you can also stay in sync with the Hebrew calendar as well by reading the Torah portions throughout the year. Those are also posted on the internet. The lectionary in the Anglican Church was set up along the lines of the Torah and Haftarah readings. One of my friends told me that she's been reading through the Bible day by day for at least five years now, and consequently, she believes she has retained a lot more of the Word of God this way. Well, I'd also like to invite you to visit our website at exploits.tv, where you can view any of our videos online at any time, day or night. We also post news articles about Israel and end-time prophecy and important pointers for prayer for watchmen and intercessors are posted at least twice a week, usually on Tuesdays and Fridays. We also send out an electronic news magazine called Exploits that you can receive by signing up at our website. And at our events page, you can read details about our next prayer convocation in the Holy Land. 
Please tell your friends about our website and connect with us on the social media. And so until next time, contending for the faith and always praying for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Darg. Shalom. Recently, we received the good news that our Jerusalem channel has reached almost four and a half million views. Our online streaming video was watched in places as diverse as Russia, India, Nigeria, Indonesia, and Saudi Arabia. What a privilege to share the gospel around the world and make it available free of charge. But although we have hundreds and thousands learning Bible truths 24-7, there's only a tiny handful of viewers who are willing to actually stand with our ministry to help support this outreach. Every minute of video streaming costs money. So if you find our programs a blessing to your spiritual growth, please consider being a part of this outreach, first in Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In the United States, we are a tax-deductible charity, and you can call us toll-free at 1-888-245-2692. In the UK, we're also a registered charity, and you can call us at 0300-561-TREBLE-5. At our website, you can make a donation by credit or debit card anytime. Thank you for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel.